Welcome to Keeper Chat. My name is Fauna. And my name is Flora. And this is a weekly podcast where we chat about animals. We are both real-life zookeepers, and each week we will be discussing a new animal and learning more about them. As always, nothing we say reflects our organizations, and all thoughts and opinions are our own. So with that, let's get grimy! Let's get finale. (laughs) Ah! It is our season one finale. Oh my god. Flora, how are you feeling about this entire journey thus far? I'm sweating. I've been sweating since day one. Yeah, I haven't stopped. It's a puddle. (laughs) I feel like I'm that kid from the Peanuts, except for instead of like a dust cloud, I just have like a puddle that follows me around. Pigpen? Pigpen, thank you. (laughs) She's always looking like she climbed fresh out of a pool. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. (laughs) Gross. Flora, how was your week? It was... It was good. Um, yeah. Last time we chatted, officially on here, we chatted all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Last time we recorded our conversation, I was not a zookeeper, and now I am again. So <laughs> Woo! I got a, a jab. roller coaster. Um, so that's happening, and I'm very excited. It's very good. It's going to yeah, be great. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. I'm um, so excited for you. At some point, I'm going to have to sell my house and move across the country again. Um, so that might throw a hitch in some... Some episodes, we might have to pre-record some things, but mm. we'll keep you guys in the loop. Uh, yeah, so I just had a little week hiatus where I did some dog stuff, but not Nomo. How was your week? My week was pretty good. Uh, my day today was frantic, and so on the way home, I pounded two McDoubles and five chicken nuggets <laughs> oh and a handful of french fries. God. Uh, so I'm definitely feeling my healthiest self. Mm. Damn. Mm -hmm. So if I just like keel over and have a heart attack during this, that's why. I did buy myself like a cookie cake from the store and it just says like happy birthday on it because I was celebrating me getting my job and like they don't make pre-made ones that just say like congrats. They all just say happy birthday. So I felt like that was still like a good celebration statement. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. Cool. You treat yourself. Uh, yes. So everything's been building to this, y'all. Uh, Season one finale. We're on episode, I don't know what number, but we're 26. on- 26! That's how many letters there are in the fucking internet. Excuse me. We have had more episodes than 26. I know, because the Q&Ds- The Q&Ds throw us off, and you and I can't count. We've <laughs> said it before, we will say it again. We cannot count. So- we are on the final letter of the internet. We're on oh! Z this week. And it's going to all be all about zebras, y'all. That's all it is. That's yeah, the only we got animal. Into zebras. <laughs> Here they are. They're striped. Done. That's it. Hope you enjoyed. <laughs> See you in season two. Bye forever. No, this week is uh, pretty special. We have planned episode Z for quite a while. I would say for most of the alphabet we I have feel like planned. yeah you had the idea like day one <laughs> it was mm-hmm. startling it was startling i sort of yelled <laughs> it at you sorry so this week everyone our animal of the week is actually going to be our collective animals of the week because z is standing for jesus can i just spit it out we're doing zoo <laughs> the suspense built so much I don't think it built well, though. I do not have a future in suspenseful writing. <laughs> it's zoo. We did Z for zoo. Z Are you happy? Z is for zoo. Get it? Do you get it, it's though? Because it's Z. Because there's lots of animals in a zoo. Does anyone get it? <laughs> I got it. Cool. I thought it was funny. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, we um we picked this specifically because... Our show is about animals, but also because we're <laughs> zookeepers, and so we work in a zoo, and the animals we take care of live in a zoo. And one of the things we've talked about time and time again is how underrepresented and, like, misunderstood zoos actually are. So we wanted to take the time to really get down, get dirty, get grimy, and get in that business and let you all know the yeah. real unedited truth. Yes, that we found on Wikipedia. <laughs> but this episode will definitely be edited because Flora and I like to pause and say um a lot. 
Yeah, so. and we're both drinking beverages, and just like the ASMR of just my mouth That's on bad. a water glass <laughs> is bad. Foul. It's bad. <laughs> but the clinking of the ice cubes is nice. I will mm, say that. Mm-hmm. But everything else is really horrible. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, we also chose this question because we got a listener submitted <laughs> question. We chose this topic because we got oh. a question. Uh oh. This Good. wine glass is half full. <laughs> You know what that means? It used to be all the way full. <laughs> Not no more. Uh, yes, this topic uh, was chosen specifically for the aforementioned reason, but also because we got a question from a listener, and it was a really good question, so we wanted to answer it. So the question comes from Rihanna from Minnesota. Thank you, Rihanna, for writing in. She said, "My question Rihanna, is about Rihanna. Oh. Okay, great. <laughs> How's that go? That was it." That's my ringtone. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> How fucking horrifying would that be? <laughs> Startle everyone around me, including myself, including my cat. <laughs> so Rihanna's question was, my question is about zoos in general. I know several people say that zoos are, quote, sad or unethical and that animals should be in the wild, not in zoos. They say things like, watch the Blackfish documentary. It will change the way you look at zoos. Or, look how sad that cheetah looks in that tiny enclosure. Now I know, because I've been listening to your podcast, how important zoos are for conservation and the protection of animals, especially the endangered ones. And I know what response I would like to clap back at these losers, but what actual information do you have that I can give them to negate their argument? I feel like you can't argue with facts, and so if I have something intelligent to say to dissolve their thoughts based on a documentary that they watched, maybe it will change their mind. Thanks, and keep on keeping. (laughs) Halfway through that, I realized the song I sang was Dirty (laughs) Dirty. Excuse me? <laughs> Finish your thought. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with it. <laughs> Halfway through you reading that, I realized that <laughs> the song that I sang was Dirty Diana. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Not like Dirty Diana. Isn't there a song about Rihanna? <laughs> yeah, I think Fleetwood Mac did it, but it didn't go like that. Oh my god, I'm crying. I'm so <laughs> <fucking> <laughs> <down>. <laughs> I don't know why that is like getting to me so bad, but I was like, how the fuck does that song go? And I couldn't think of it, and I'm like, oh, because she doesn't fucking say Rihanna at all. He says, dirty goddamn Diana. <laughs> Um, <laughs> outrageous musical knowledge comes in handy once again. I don't know. Oh my god. This is it. This is us <laughs> falling apart. You guys, we've done god knows how many episodes so far. More than 26. <laughs> oh. How's that? I'm gonna have to write a song to the tune yep. of Dirty Diana about Rihanna. Rihanna? Rihanna. Rihanna. Oh my god, I'm so hey, sorry. That hey, was, uh, pa- patrons, look forward to that <laughs> new hit single god. dropping soon. <laughs> that was like a really good question, though. I just, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. <laughs> and I feel like we got this emailed to us like approximately seven months ago. <laughs> we oh, held on to it. <laughs> yes, yeah, we were like, we need this, and then we never responded. Um, but now we are. <laughs> that person probably thinks we hated their question. Oh, I'm sorry. We didn't. We, in fact, we loved it. We loved just it didn't so say anything much. to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. We just never told you. Sorry. But now you know. Um, okay, so, Flora, I'm, initial thoughts. I'm back. Let's break it down a little bit. Okay. She's asking specifically for us to address the idea that zoos are sad or unethical and that animals should be in the wild, not in zoos. Mm -hmm. She said she's come across people that have mentioned that she watched the Blackfish documentary Mm -hmm. or that they talk about how sad an animal looks in their enclosure. Uh, And she's looking to answer with some irrefutable evidence to hopefully help them see the good that zoos are doing. Cool. We can do that. Yeah. I feel like we can do it very long form and then also give you guys like a short form. Yeah, totally. So to structure this episode, just so everyone's aware, uh, we figured it might be sort of long. So if that's the case, we're going to break it into two episodes. So it's a little (laughs) 
easier digested and not the length of like mm-hmm. inception um so <laughs> to do that flora and i broke it down into several uh different categories kind of based on what the question asker was asking <laughs> are you uh-huh. following me so far uh-huh, uh-huh. wonderful uh so flora why don't you why don't you take it over okay I do want to say that there will be a musical number in between the episodes if it comes to that. Okay, wonderful. So I did write my notes in neon green, and I can't read this first paragraph that I wrote. Um, But basically, just a background on zoos. I want to take us back Mm -hmm. far, far, far away? I don't know. No. Okay, yeah. No, set the scene. I love it. Just like the origin of zoos. Okay. Where are we? What year is it? Okay, we are right now or right now. Because what is a zoo? That is a place where animals are housed in enclosures it also can be referred to as an animal park and back in the dizzy it was referred to as a menagerie Mm, all right love that word um Mm -hmm. i do believe that the first zoo for public use was the london zoological gardens um and they were actually the first one to use the short-term zoo um and i think it was in 1826 so that was a long time ago that was a long time ago so today, there are approximately over 1,000 zoos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go on. I don't know what that says. Um, and 180 <laughs> million people visit them annually. Okay, now I'm out Yay! of the lime green. I can read what I fucking wrote. So yeah, they're a big deal. But back in the day, they weren't really for the same purpose. So I'll kind of get into what they serve, what purpose they serve now. But back in the day when they were menageries, they were more just a, for like... Rich people to, like, show how big they dick be and how many Mm -hmm. cool animals. So this is 3500 BCE in Egypt. Uh, They had hippo, heart beast, elephants, baboon, and wild cats in a menagerie. Mm -hmm. 11th century BCE in the middle Assyrian Empire, they had animals. 2nd century BCE, um, they had um, King Nebuchadnezzar. Love that name. He had him. So good. Um, and then by 4th century BCE, there were zoos in most Greek city-states. So this, of course, is um, where kind of we're more familiar, I guess, with it, just in terms of, like, Roman games and stuff. Um, Alexander the Great, if you've ever heard of him, he was exploring and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and he always sent animals back to Greece. Like, everything he found, he was just like, ship it, stick it on a boat. Take it to Greece! <laughs> and these Roman emperors, they were using them... For arenas, but they were also using them for private study. I mean, these people were researching these animals and studying them and looking at them inside and out and studying behavior. There were scientists back then, too. They weren't all the people in Assassin's Creed that just assassinated each other. They Um, weren't all Socrates. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But this is gnarly. So the Roman games, uh, during the dedication of the Colosseum by Titus, 5,000 animals died that day. Mm. Not ideal. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So just keep in mind that this sucks. (laughs) We don't do this anymore. Right, Um, yeah. Not really the model. In the year 1235, which is just ridiculous, Henry III was gifted three leopards for his wedding. Um, And then in 1264, they were moved, and then he kind of opened this little area to the public so people could come and visit the animals. Um. That was in the 16th century, and then in the 18th century, the price was three half pence, or bring a cat or dog to feed the animals. <laughs> oh! Obviously okay. different animals, because now we went from 1264 to the 18th century. I don't think it's the same three leopards the whole time. Like, I think- That'd be wild, man. Yeah, I think they had different animals. So this was, like, the first time they were paid people to, like, see animal just walking around. Um, And then those animals were actually moved to the London Zoo once that thing opened. Okay. Which is kind of crazy. So the, but the oldest zoo, okay, maybe I lied. So the oldest zoo that's still open to, for today, for today, (laughs) what, is in Vienna. I'm not going to try to say it because it's in fucking Austrian. And yeah, initially it was for the Imperial family and uh, it opened to the public in 1765. So all basically, right. the origins of all this stuff, they're all just symbols of power. It was just people, rich people being like, look at my peacock and my leopard. Look at this cool stuff. They were for public entertainment because they were like, come to the Roman games, see all these bears fighting. 
come to my menagerie and look at these animals, but they also were scientific study because people were drawing them and sketching them and learning behaviors and learning these new animals. So yeah, I think like people from like the dawn of time were fascinated by animals yeah. to a certain extent. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the way and the why of zoos has obviously changed, but we've kept some of it. So we still have them for entertainment, right? There's still people think it's fun to visit a zoo. Um, mm-hmm. And the scientific study is still there, although it's deepened, right? So we have ethograms. We're studying behaviors. We're observing and learning more about the behavioral aspects of animals in addition to anatomy. And then because they're in zoos, we're able to do even more hands-on stuff. We're doing fecal sample studies, blood tests. We're testing for hormones and tracking estrogen levels and learning all different kinds of stuff about um, animals in captivity. Uh, We're also doing conservation now zoos. They are engaging their visitors to contribute to conservation themselves, um, teaching them recycling and what fish to eat and not eat but they're also doing it themselves so they're donating to conservation or they're doing in-house conservation and they're saving animals firsthand uh they're also breeding breeding endangered species breeding other different kinds of species that aren't endangered (laughs) Mm um uh rehabilitation so they're bringing in animals who maybe are native to the area and they've been injured Um, they, some zoos even take in ex-pets that are ex-circus animals, that sort of thing. So they're rehabbing. Some of them even re-release these animals. Uh, more education now. So we're teaching people about the animals. Um, instead of just coming and having fun, you're supposed to go away with some sort of knowledge. And then they're inspiring people too. So they're not just coming to do fun you're coming to learn and be inspired and make a connection with an animal um i don't think you can deny the fact that the inspiration is there i've had people try and that's some bs you can't tell me that you like as a kid weren't in awe when you come see animals and even today animal videos go viral on the internet all the time we make a connection Mm -hmm. with them when we see them and when we like see them do these crazy behaviors or when we see things like chimps do that are so human and stuff like that. So inspiring that our next researchers and our next zookeepers and the next Jane Goodall and the next Steve Irwin and the next Al Gore. I mean, they're doing Mm -hmm. that. So um, that's what I think zoos have kind of changed into. And Mm -hmm. they've come a long way from just being like this guy's like man cave. (laughs) Yeah, right. This guy's like back-ass alley version of a zoo where he's just, like, showing it off as a status symbol and things. I mean, even in those days, people were inspired by those animals, but they were not driven to do anything beyond that. And like you said, zoos have come a long way, and I think it's important to understand their origins because it gives context for the journey that they've gone through since and the important um, improvements that have made been made since because those improvements are really really important to the public perception of zoos they're important to understanding how they operate and they're important to understanding why they have a place in our society yeah um so how they operate there's a couple of different things first i just want to say that we're going to be talking about zoos a lot i'm going to say the word zoo a thousand times there's other words um for zoos and there's different kinds of zoos so when we talk about a zoo We're talking about a well-run operation that takes care of their animals. If we say roadside zoo, (laughs) that's usually less so. Um, Mm -hmm. That has like a negative connotation to it. And that's usually how people in the industry kind of refer to places that aren't as great. um, And maybe are just like for profit and aren't so much big into conservation or anything. Um, There's also, of course, aquariums. And then there's places like petting zoos, which kind of fits into a roadside zoo where they have exotic animals for petting purposes and stuff so that's always a huge thing to keep in mind is you can't lump all of these things together they're Mm -hmm. all completely different um we can't make like sweeping statements about places that house animals because they're very Mm -hmm. different there are some places that are not for profit but there are places that are for profit that doesn't make them bad by any means um Mm -hmm. but there are some that are for profit that are bad (laughs) so it's kind of hard because we can't sit here and tell you that you can that we're going to defend every zoo in the whole world or every facility that houses animals because we're not some of them don't deserve to have animals and they're horrible 
but a lot mm-hmm. of them aren't. So that's one of the really difficult things, I think, when people are coming up with these arguments is you can't make sweeping statements. Mm-mm. So a lot of the zoos that Fauna and I are familiar with operate similarly financially where the zoo as an organization is a nonprofit. They're not there to make money off of people coming in. They're there to um, go to operation costs. But then there's always a for-profit sector that is there for fundraising and doing all like the managing and stuff. But they're separate entities that work together. So it's kind of a weird, interesting relationship. I think several businesses, museums, and shit, they all do that. I think that's uh-huh. like a common a common thing. Um, and then places can be both city-owned. Um, like, I can't even think what zoo off the top of my head is owned by a city. Maybe like... I don't know. I don't even want to say because just because it has think a city the, uh, in the name doesn't mean it's owned by the city. Yeah, I think the Como Zoo in St. Paul, Minnesota is a city-run zoo, but the Minnesota Zoo in Minneapolis, Minnesota is a private zoo. See, there you go. Um, so there's differences, and again, that doesn't mean city's bad or city's good and private's bad. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, I think the Nashville Zoo is privately owned. That's the one I can think of off the top of my head. Um, so there's some places that have a ton of funding, right? The entire city is funding them. And then there's places that don't get a lot of funding and maybe they have to um, do like levies and stuff for the city or whatever. So there's a bunch of different ways that that can differ as well. But the zoos that um, Fauna and I, again, are familiar with are zoos that are accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, AZA accredited zoos. And I think we've talked about this before. So mm-hmm. AZA is basically... A nonprofit, and it is dedicated to the advancement of zoos and aquariums. It started in 1924. So this is just an accrediting body, and they're just making sure that the facilities that are under them are meeting a standard that's more than what is required by law. Because mm-hmm. actually, what's required by law is a little ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of the difference between when you go to the pet store and you see like a puppy in a box. And you go to a zoo and you see, like, a tiger in in an exhibit, right? Like, the minimum requirement is that it has to be able to stand and get up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. AZA um, kind of takes a lot of what USDA bases their guidelines for housing animals, which are kind of across the board. USDA is in charge of monitoring those things, whether you're a zoo or whether you're an exotic pet owner or, like, anything in between. Like, they kind of run that entire gambit. But they take the minimum requirements, um, and AZA essentially is like, okay, we're going to make sure that all of those are met, but we're also going to make sure that those animals are in good health. They're doing well mentally, physically, Mm -hmm. emotionally. They have everything they need according to their species behavior. And they're able – like, they have a goal. They have a purpose. They have a positive – means of like bettering the world so like usda would come in and they'd see like one penguin in a tank and they'd be like hey this tank is the right size you guys have stored your chemicals well and there's like no cobwebs and it's in like a safe exhibit way to go az Mm -hmm. would come in and be like that animal's minimum minimum requirements are that it's in a colony at least five the exhibit needs to be this big it needs to have a filtration system it needs to have couple different substrates it needs to be fed it needs to have these vitamins it needs to have this so it's just like 10 steps further um, yeah it needs to make sure that it has this type of stimulation its staff members need to be knowledgeable up until this level of education like all that stuff um so aza is great it doesn't mean that non-aza zoos are bad it definitely does not mean that because um there are a lot that goes into getting accredited by AZA, a really extensive application process. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of funding, certain amount of money, certain amount of dues you have to pay. So some of the smaller zoos just choose not to do it. There are also zoos who choose not to do it because of the rules that AZA has, especially in working free and protected contact with certain animals. So there's a whole other can of worms. But AZA comes every five years and will come to a zoo to re-accredit and um, check everything out. Um, the application gets submitted, and then three people come every five years, and they're experts in the field. So there's usually, like, a zoo, 
vet, um, someone who is knowledgeable in terms of like management. So it's probably like a curator or a zoo director, and then someone who is an expert on animal care. Um, and they come, they check the zoo out, they interview people, they interview keepers and managers, all that, and then they go back and um, a panel of 12 reviews all the information and determines whether or not the zoo will be re-accredited for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, AZA also does a ton of population management plans, and they also run the SSPs, which are the Species Survival Plans, which we will kind of get into a little bit later. And then they recently launched the AZA SAFE program, which is kind of focusing our conservation efforts on animals that need it first and foremost before um, they go extinct. So AZA is amazing, but again, I don't want you to think that if a zoo is not AZA, it means bad. But it's a really easy way to tell if a zoo is good. Just see mm-hmm. if they're AZA um, accredited, and then you're good to go. Um, yeah, and then there's other accrediting bodies. So smaller zoos have um, done, like, ZAA. There's, like, WAZA. There's all these different ones that are for, like, different sizes and stuff. So you can always mm-hmm. look into those, see what their requirements are, and stuff like that. Um, everybody has a certain amount of standards. Um but yeah, it includes, yeah. like Plano was saying, it does include educating their staff. Um, they have to know what they're doing <laughs> and know what yep. they're talking about, know the rules, know what ACA requires, know what USDA requires, know their standard operating procedures for the zoo, know species information, stuff like that. Um, they require vets on site or think at least um, ACA requires full-time vet techs, maybe not full-time vets, but I can't remember. Um And then, you know, just in terms of employees that are working at a zoo, these people are are passionate about animals. They're not Mm -hmm. just some, like, dingbat that showed up (laughs) that wants to do this. Like, we pick up shit 24-7. You have to actually, like, enjoy animals. Otherwise, it's, like, the worst job in the world. I can't imagine Mm -hmm. doing it if you didn't like animals. It would be just... Miserable. It'd be literally punishment. We even had, um, so, like, a news station called our zoo, and, like, their anchors had made a bet. And one of them lost the bet. And they're like, hey, can we have someone come and pick up, like, giraffe shit as, like, punishment? And our director was like, no, that's their job. It's not punishment. It's a privilege to, like, work around animals and, like, totally shut them down. But that's how people do it, right? Like, when they don't don't know. Um, And then just in terms of, like, keepers, too, you know, we're super passionate about it. And then zoos and just the whole industry has ways that we can go further in our knowledge. So... Most of us have degrees in either biology or whatever, but that doesn't really go so far as learning a lot about these different species. So there's different conferences. They could be species-based or, um, like, family, like, taxonomic family-based. There are mm-hmm. zookeeper groups on the internet. Um, I'm in, like, a secret one that's just for penguin keepers. There's one that's for all keepers. Um, there is the AZA magazine that comes out that has... Mm-hmm. Um, research that keepers are doing in-house and um, write-ups and stuff about enrichment programs and, you know, eliminating stereotypic behaviors and all this stuff. There's also the AZAC magazine, which AZAC is a whole other thing. That's the American Association of Zookeepers. We have our own group. <laughs> we have our own fan club <laughs> that we're in for ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. Where zookeepers are able to bond together and raise money for conservation outside of the zoo. Um, so we're literally obsessed with animals. So if you try to tell us that we don't do right by them, we're gonna shut you down because you're wrong. Yep. So just keep all yeah. that in mind. Yeah, we spend all day doing our jobs, which is working around animals, like eight to twelve hours a day, and then we come home and we fundraise for <laughs> conservation yeah. to save those animals. And then like, like watch animal documentaries and then like Yep. Tweet pictures of animals and then like go to sleep and have a dream about animals and then wake up and do it all again yeah and then someone comes and like throws coffee in our face <laughs> it's like okay you're the worst and yeah then you're last- totally right Sorry. lastly i just wanted to say to conservation i kind of talked about aza and like conservation and stuff so aza requires zoos contribute to conservation a certain amount of money but almost every zoo does and does above and beyond what's even the minimum requirement um mm-hmm. so zoos are donating Tons and tons and tons of money um, of the AZA institutions. Where did I write this down? Um, do, 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 do. So just AZA alone, they fund over, I think, um, 2,500 conservation projects uh, in more than 100 different countries and spend an average of $216 million annually on conservation projects. That's crazy. That's so much money. That's just AZA Zeus. It's not even all of them. 
Yeah, that's wild. So, like, if you're sitting at home, watch Put your money where your mouth is. Blackfish eating two McDoubles and seven chicken nuggets. Whoa, 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 whoa. Targeted, Pump the brakes. Targeted advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Damn phones are listening again. <laughs> then, like, cool it, homie. Like, what have you ever done? Yeah, so anyway, pretty much. That was my that was my rambling about zoos. So they that exist good. for a number of reasons. They do good things, and they're awesome. And now we're gonna go deeper into that. <laughs> yes, dive deeper. Let's get into it. Here's the second level of Inception. Are you ready? Yeah. So we kind of discussed the background on zoos, where they came from, and why they currently exist. So let's talk specifically about animals in those zoos why are animals in zoos like we understand now why zoos exist but why do animals have to live in zoos Go yes ahead. okay so animals serve a number of different functions in a zoo number and one really quick when i say have to i mean get to continue oh so true it is a privilege so mm-hmm. number one they're ambassadors for their species just in general and day to day they're representing their species they are educating people so they're educators um, teaching them about themselves their behavior they're teaching scientists about themselves and their species um, we're learning about their behavior and their anatomy and we're still learning things like up to this year about animals that we had no idea they did stuff there was that like fucking manta ray or something that just gave birth and she hadn't been with a male in, like, seven yes. years or something? What was that? Yeah, it was wild. Like, we're always discovering new things yes. that come about from being able to observe them up close, which is exactly the venue that zoos provide. Yeah. So they're educating even the experts. We don't even know this shit. Um, so they're educating you that are coming. They're inspiring you. But they're conservationists, too. Whoop, I squeaked in my chair. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> they're conservationists. They're raising money. For their own species in the wild. So if there's a cheetah in a zoological population and it's chilling and eating snacks and living its best life, it is, and you're coming to see it, it just generated like five bucks for its wild counterparts. That's kick mm-hmm. ass. It's saving yep. its homies in the wild. Yep. That's dope. That's dope as hell. Yes. Um, so further, not only are just all of them in general ambassadors, but there's certain ambassadors that we use for even more training and teaching and stuff. Um, and those are kind of like our education ambassadors. So every zoo has an education department where kids can come for camps. Um, some zoos have preschools. I think Mystic Aquarium has like a preschool on site. Like, that's wild. Um, it's dope. Yeah, I wish I could fucking go back to preschool. That'd be hella dope. These kids Although, probably know more than I do. <laughs> I did go to zoo camp as a child, and I remember distinctly mm, making ice treats for woolly, mon- uh, woolly monkeys and um, playing with a bearded dragon. <laughs> Hell yeah, that sounds awesome. It was the time of my life. Um, okay, so these education departments are awesome, and they usually have education ambassadors. So they have animals like a bearded dragon or a snake or a tortoise or a rat or even something like a kinkajou or a kawadi. These animals that are... Really intelligent, really easily handled, really easily trained, and they use them to get kids hands-on with these species, and even adults hands-on with these species. Um, Fauna and I have gone to a, (laughs) we went to like a brewery, didn't we? Where was that? Yeah, yeah, it was like a brewery launch, which was weird, but we went. (laughs) We went with a- With skinks in tow. (laughs) Yeah, with a fucking- a prehensile-tailed skink and a bearded dragon, and all these adults were, like, enamored and in love with these animals. And that was kick-ass. And we use these education animals to to educate these people about them, but it helps destigmatize too, right? Like, a lot of education animals are reptiles because they're smaller, they're handleable, they're mm-hmm. reptiles or they're insects, you know, walking sticks or hissing cockroaches. And mm-hmm. you're meeting children and you're showing them, like, look, this isn't some spooky scary monster it's just an animal that's living its life it's eating pests it's eating rodents it's trying to like breed and make a family just like you are <laughs> you small mm-hmm. child <laughs> you um, small child one day <laughs> can um, you relate to this big horny snake <laughs> so i think education animals are awesome because they just go like a step further because they're usually more intimate in the setting right like you can see a cheetah through yeah. glass but if you had an education ambassador cheetah which they do you're seeing them outside the glass walking around on a harness like holy shit does that not just like change your world like you're like five feet away from a cheetah 
Holy shit. Yeah, and a lot of times, too, these animals are taken, like Flora said, out on actual outreach programs. So they're taken outside of the zoo as part of education programs in order to spread the message of zoos even farther. So people who may not be able to go to a zoo are a lot of times able to interact with zoo animals and zoo professionals and learn about them at these different events. And it's so important because, like you said, you're helping destigmatize. You're helping people learn. You're also helping inspire people. And... Not only that, but there's there's always the idea that, and I think we've talked about this before, but people always just defer to the idea that the only way to like get the most out of an interaction with an animal is to feed it or to touch it, mm-hmm. and yep. that's not always the case. Like you, there's a lot to learn about an animal without doing either of those things. But the education ambassadors are trained to be in those types of situations and to be comfortable in those types of situations. And their handlers are trained in order to present them in a way that's most comfortable to them. So they always have the animal's best interests at heart. But they're also playing double duty. They're also able to provide people with the opportunity to actually touch an animal, a wild animal that they've never seen before, and learn more about them and hopefully make that hands-on connection with them. Yeah. And it – like, it – it's like that butterfly flapping its wings bullshit from that movie where Ashton Kutcher gets all his legs cut off. Like, oh, dude, what's my car? <laughs> what's my car? <laughs> that is not it. It's called the fucking butterfly effect. It is not dude, where's my car? He does not get his arms and legs chopped off. <laughs> dude, where's my car? I also said it was dude, what's my car? So <laughs> what's the lesser known sequel? It's a butterfly. That's what it is. <laughs> Whoa. But no, it's the butterfly effect. Like, these small steps in the future with these kids and with these even adults can make a big impact. It doesn't take the whole world to like, to change it. It doesn't, it just takes like a few people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So kind of going off of that, uh, we want to talk a little bit next about uh, why animals in zoological populations are sometimes part of breeding programs and what that means. Cause a lot of questions that we get, um, from guests or a lot of comments that we get are basically misinformed about how the breeding process works and also why it's happening. A lot of mm. people seem to think that breeding animals in zoos is a horrible, atrocious thing mm. and we're just looking to profit off of them. Ooh, right. Um, so it's something worth talking about and something we wanted to go into. But first and foremost, it's important to say that there are some places that – do breed animals for profit. Yes. And we will talk about ways to kind of identify these places because they are places that you want to avoid because they do not have the animal's best interests at heart. They do not have conservation or education at the forefront of their mission. And they do not prioritize animal welf- welfare like they should. And they, they should. suck. They fucking and suck. And they suck. Yes. Um, but those places that are not looking to profit off of you know, tiger cubs or chimp babies or whatever it may be. Um, And again, this comes back to a lot of accredited facilities, not necessarily AZA, you know, a lot of places are great without being AZA, but we've already covered that. So a lot of the zoological breeding that happens is in accordance with the Species Survival Plan, which Flora talked about previously, which is overseen by AZA. So the Species Survival Plan, or the SSP for short, basically exists for just about every zoo species that's out there. So every animal that you see in the zoo pretty much has an SSP. Mm -hmm. And that SSP has the direct purpose. It's a group of individuals that have essentially devoted their time and energy to knowing everything that they possibly can about this animal. And so not only do they know everything they possibly can and keep up to date with all new publications and um, news events and whatever and discoveries and stuff with this animal, but they also um, play a very important role in tracking the genetic lineage of every single animal in the zoological population. Uh. So they basically look at the genetic makeup of every single animal within that species and they see how closely related they are to one another. So the SSP works very, very closely with zoos because they will um, be the ones that give zoos recommendations, whether that be breeding recommendations, whether that be uh, social grouping recommendations or housing recommendations, transfer recommendations, a bunch of different stuff. And basically SSP is looking to make sure that, as the name implies, the species is able to survive. Um, one of the other big reasons that, what? (laughs) 
you just like didn't say is. It's <laughs> like species able to survive. Oh, really? Did I drop that? <laughs> and it was just like caveman speak, like species 101. able to survive. <laughs> uh, but no, they're they're essentially looking to make sure that that like long term that species is able to survive. Right. So they want to make sure that. Um, those living in zoological populations are genetically stable, and mm-hmm. they're also a healthy population, but they're also doing well. They don't want to give breeding recommendations that put animals in horrible social situations or horrible housing situations <laughs> or anything like, like hey, that. Like, that's stupid. Um, Cheetah, Gary over there is such an asshole. We should totally make more of him. Like, no, he sucks. Don't let him breed. Yeah, Nobody come on, man. Gary? <laughs> he has the worst. Gary has a limp, and, like, one of his legs is shorter than the other. Do not breed him. <laughs> it's probably why he limps. <laughs> uh, like but, guy. no, they, they give us a bunch of different recommendations, and zoos have a really great kind of two-way street <laughs> partnership with them because they will receive recommendations, breeding, housing, transfer, whatever, and gave, able to give back recommendations of their own. So they can take a look at the animals that they have, see what sort of situation they're in, whether it be if they're able to take in more animals or if they're able to send animals out for recommendations or if they're able to look at a social grouping and see if an individual is ready to move or bring in more or like whatever it may be. And they're essentially a really great partnership between the facility that houses the animal and the SSP that oversees the animal. So the idea here is that, again, our biggest goal is to make sure that these animals are around for years to come. And a Mm -hmm. lot of animals in zoos are endangered or vulnerable or threatened or critically endangered. And so it means that their wild populations aren't doing so great. Mm -mm. And so a lot of times, uh, breeding through SSP is one of the best ways that we can ensure that if something God forsake were to happen in the wild that were to wipe out their population, they are not gone from the planet forever. We have a stable, viable right. uh, population in human care that can then continue on for generations to come. It's not just going to implode all of a sudden because of inbreeding, things right. like that. So it serves a really important purpose. It's really, really wordy and kind of a complex thing. But if you're interested in learning more about it, I would highly recommend it because it's super interesting. Well, and I think another thing too about breeding is – Like, if you have two animals and they're in a really tiny exhibit and they're not stimulated and they're not well taken care of, they're not going to breed. Like, animals don't just bone down because they want to. They're going to breed only if the conditions – sorry, my cat is playing with garbage on the ground and making a lot of noise. Amazing. Um, (laughs) It's a fucking juice cap. Anyway, um – yeah, so it's a good indicator that, A, they're being well taken care of if they're having, like, successful breeding all the time. And two, one of the other arguments about animals and housing them is just that that's a natural part of life. That's one of the things that they are setting out to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's innate that they need to breed and continue to, like, spread their, like, weird animal seed everywhere. Mm-hmm. So breeding is part of giving them the best most fulfilling life that we can yeah very true uh so it serves a really important role and hopefully that answers oh my god i could not say that word hopefully (laughs) that answers any questions that have to do with that it's a very complex part of housing animals in zoological populations but it's a really really important part too yeah so it's one that is really important to understand why it happens um, but I think this is a really good spot to 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 to. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I think this is a really good spot to also mention that we don't take animals from the wild. All of these animals are breeding in human care and in these zoological populations. So we don't do that anymore. They did that like 700 years ago. The Roman and fucking Alexander the Great was doing it, but we don't do that anymore. So don't worry about it. People say that are the dumbest because I'm always just like, you haven't read a book since 1910, have you? (laughs) Yeah, the old 1910 novels. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very outdated practice and it, it kind of came from the idea of housing animals in a menagerie setting to kind of show them off and that's not what zoos do anymore that's not the purpose of them anymore right that may have been how they started but that's not how they are so all of the animals that you see in zoos with very few exceptions have never seen the wild and haven't for generations like several generations all 
that they've ever known is living in the home that they're currently living in and, you know, living in the social group that they're currently living in. And while that can be kind of hard to wrap your mind around, I guess, if, like, you are a human being and you have the cognitive level (laughs) and awareness that you do, (laughs) if you are, I'm not going to call anyone out, Flora. (laughs) Stop! (laughs) But, I mean, it, it can be kind of hard to wrap your head around that because you can think, well, like, you know, probably your first thought is, like, wow, that's you know, kind of a bummer that they've never seen their natural home. But at the same time, think about it. They've never seen it, so they're not missing it. (laughs) So when you go to a zoo and you're projecting your idea of, like, they miss Africa, that cheetah misses Africa. No, it doesn't. That cheetah's never seen Africa. No. It doesn't know what Africa is. He fucking has no context of that. He loves shit out of Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio, because that's where his fucking food is. He would never leave Cincinnati even if you fucking gave him the option. Because guess what? If you put him in Africa, he'd straight die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Flora, why don't you talk a little bit about wild conditions? That might be a good le- uh, segue. Yes. I also was going to say um, you can't judge people by their past. Like, in my past life, I was a felon. And you now, in this life, you know, you can't judge What in that. the hell? <laughs> What in the actual hell are you talking about? In 1910, maybe I was a fucking felon, but, like, time has passed. You can't keep bringing that up. Okay. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Just, well, then stop bringing it up. You brought it up. <laughs> weird, weird, weird. Okay, okay, so what is the wild? Someone tell me. What is the wild? Where's the wild? Guess what? It's, it's where that cheetah's from. It doesn't exist. So, humans are fleas on the globe, which, by the way, is flat and shouldn't have called it a globe. Um, (laughs) On the plate. (laughs) On this giant plateau on the back of a turtle that we live on. Um, Okay, so deforestation, pollution, human encroachment and development, ecotourism, poaching, hunting. Like, what what do we not do to fuck up the quote-unquote wild? It's not there anymore. We're making these like refuges and still people are coming in and killing the animals and we can't stop them and they're being poisoned and poached and ecotourism people are driving by them and parking in cars next to them and getting out of the car and getting mauled like there's no wild so when you have this idea in your head of this like fucking cheetah roaming free and like being blissful like think again he got his foot caught in a snare and his leg got necrotic and rotted off and then lions came and ate him but he had like lead poisoning from a poacher (laughs) shooting him and now they're dead and then the vultures eating them died because it just gets worse and it's just not there and then a photographer came by and took a picture and sold it on the internet so it's not there. Like, stop saying things are better off in the wild. They're not. They get veterinary care. They get room service. They get stimulated every day. And they don't get fucking shot at. It's great. Yeah, and think about it this way. Animals that live in zoos, one of the biggest complaints that we hear is, like, they're not doing anything or they're sleeping or I can't see them. That's because a good zoo is giving them the opportunity to have choice in their environment. And that's what they're choosing to do. Right. So if an animal is sleeping in a zoo... That means they're hella comfortable and relaxed. Yeah. You wouldn't be caught dead finding an animal sleeping in the wild. Those things are constantly <laughs> in fear of getting poached, of getting hunted, of getting yeah. eaten, of getting disease, of, like, trying to find food for their family, trying to right. find food for themselves. Like, the wild is not this blissful place that you think it is. Like, literally, watch any nature documentary ever. Any. The baby Eddie. always dies. They show him giving birth and the baby's really cute. And at the end, the baby fucking dies. Every time. I hate yeah. it. Animals in the wild are literally spending all day, every day, focused on three things. Finding food, continuing their genetic line, and not dying. And that's it. And it's a very, very stressful existence. Living in the wild is ugly and it's brutal and it's cruel and it's horrible and it's painful and it's stressful. And... It's a really sad thing. Yes. And not only that, but we are destroying And the we're making it so much worse. They, exactly, that they used to live in. So not only are they facing all of those threats from their natural predators and prey and, and biodiversity in the area, but now the majority of that is coming from humans. Yeah, and you built and a so, farm on their house, and then when they came and tried to come home, you shot them in the face because you thought that they were going to kill your livestock. Exactly. So, 
you have to realize that if you see, if you try to, to have that argument that, you know, you just wish they could be free and, and not locked up, please, 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 please try to understand the context in which you're speaking because it's so crucial to this argument. And it's so important to understand that, A, they don't have a home anymore. We took it from them, first off. B, living in the wild is incredibly stressful. And C, no zookeeper out there is going to say that they want every single animal on the entire planet to live in human care until no. the end of time. No. No. Our ultimate goal is to get them back to that stressful, cruel, horrible place because that's where they belong. Yes. But until they actually have a stable, safe, from humans place to be, we can't reasonably and good conscience do that. No. Ask any zookeeper, do you wish zoos existed? Do you wish that do you want them no none of us want it we think that we need it because yep. you guys wouldn't give a flying fuck if we didn't and everything would already be fucking dead we've already seen the rhino go extinct in our lifetime that's nutso like yeah i'm not gonna have there kids because they're gross but if i did i'm sure they'd see a bunch <laughs> of shit die too yeah you know for a lot of species they only ever exist in human care now because they've gone extinct in the wild yeah and those are the last remaining vestiges of this amazing species has lasted for how many thousands of years yeah. because of us. So it is not only crucial to understand the context in which you talk about these things, but also to understand the impact that humans have. And it's a it's a tough pill to swallow. You know, uh, none of us want to get into the blame game here. Um, and that's not our but intention it's your fault, with listener. this either. <laughs> but it was your fault. Remember that piece of gum you had? It's your fault. No, I mean, but I mean, we all, we're all to blame. Yeah. Um, but even more importantly is not who's to blame, but who has the responsibility. And that's all of us. All of us have the responsibility to, to care for these animals, to care for this planet, and to make sure it's around for years to come. Yes. And that means a step at a time. It's not going to change overnight. So just be like, well, release all the animals. Or like, why are we banning plastic straws? Because cups are worse or what the fuck ever. Can we not do it one step at a goddamn time? Like, they're not mutually exclusive. Banning straws yeah. is dope. They suck. That doesn't mean there aren't things that are worse, but, like, let's go. Like, we did one thing. Now it's time for the next one. Like, this is going to be a really slow-going process because it's got this far. Yep. <sighs> yeah. So, but I want... I just want to say that, and this uh, here's my tie-in to the next thing, the wild is not like the Lion King. It's not all fun and games and singing and dancing on the tops of giraffe heads. You're absolutely right. It is not that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it like that. I would be so surprised if it was. Uh, so, yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit now. I think this is a good lead-in. Uh, <laughs> I set you up. You did. To my favorite word. I love it. It's a really good word. It's a really long word, but it's a good one. It's also a tongue twister. It's anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. Thank you for the pronunciation guide. That was incredible. So, Flora, what does anthropomorphism mean to you? To me, it means Disney movies. Putting human attributes on animals. So, okay. yep. And uh, Mickey Mouse and The Lion King and The Jungle Book. They're kind of bad. Zootopia is a better example. They're humanizing, making the animals wear clothes, do human things, be humans. Yeah, totally. Uh, and one of the reasons that it's important to understand this word, especially in tying in with animals in zoos, is because it's something that we hear a lot, whether people know what the word is or not. We hear it from guests all the time, every mm -hmm. single day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually our question asker uh, listed that they've heard this from people as well. For example, people saying that zoos are quote-unquote sad, or that that cheetah looks sad in its tiny enclosure, etc., etc., so anthropomorphism is the assignment of human qualities to a non-human individual. Mm. In this case, a lot of times what we're – or whether we mean to or not, what we're assigning are human emotions mm -hmm. to an animal that does not experience human emotions. So when you say, for instance, that cheetah looks sad in their enclosure, what you're doing is assigning the human emotion of sad to a cheetah, which does not experience the human emotion of sad. No. Um, and – Unfortunately, that cheetah doesn't care, nor does it know what you said or anything, so it's unharmed. But what you're doing in that situation is you are setting yourself and others up to misunderstand the context of the situation. Mm -hmm. So when you say that a cheetah looks sad or whatever animal looks whatever, 
what you're doing is essentially negating all of their experiences and behaviors that are specific to their amazing species and which are totally worth understanding and researching in favor of putting them in your own experiences, which makes sense, right? We do that with a lot of stuff in our day-to-day life to better understand it. But for animals, it's very, very harmful, especially animals that live in zoos. And a lot of times when we hear this, uh, people will make these statements, whether they mean to or not, or whether they realize it or not, but they come away from it feeling the emotion that they've assigned. Mm -hmm. So if you say that lion is so cute, it looks like it's having such a great time, you're probably going to leave that interaction thinking like, wow, that lion was awesome and was like so happy and chill. Uh, Or conversely, if you say that orangutan looks so sad and miserable, (laughs) you're going to leave that iteration feeling sad and miserable for that orangutan. You're essentially projecting the emotions that you are feeling in relation to what you saw onto that animal Mm -hmm. and deciding that that's the truth. Mm -hmm. And that is where it's harmful, is when you decide that that is actually what's going on. So anthropomorphism is doing exactly that. It's assigning those human traits, a lot of times emotions, to those animals and then having a a basic misunderstanding of what's going on. Right. And so unfortunately we hear that a lot and it's always really hard to overcome and (laughs) bringing up the topic of anthropomorphism at like a five minute keeper chat is a lot of times very very difficult oh my god you see their eyes glaze over and then they just like like, drop their popcorn on the floor and fucking run away (laughs) run away from you yeah you're like oh please throw it in the trash can um (laughs) please don't let (laughs) us there's like a bird like choking down a kernel you're like no that bird um so The reason that it's so harmful and the reason that we always discourage people from doing that is because, like I said, you're negating that animal's experience in favor of your own, but you're also choosing to ignore their experience in favor of your own, um, which is really, really bad because it means that you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what's happening Mm -hmm. and you have a fundamental misunderstanding of that animal. And so this is a very easily fixed situation. Yes. A lot of times what we tell people to do if they have concerns about an animal is to bring it up to a staff member. Go and ask them. Say, you know, I don't know a lot about the species, but from what I've seen, you know, I'm not sure how to interpret this. Mm -hmm. Because you're not. Unless you are an animal biologist or an animal behaviorist, I'm sorry, but you do not know what that animal is going through. Nope. Like I said, they go through different emotions than humans do. A... A cheetah, for instance, is not going to experience the same emotions that you, Carol, are. So you, Carol, equating your experiences to a cheetah is not going to be the same whatsoever. No. And it's, it's just, it can kind of snowball and it can really get out of control. And that's unfortunately where a lot of the kind of quote-unquote anti-captivity mindset comes from because it means that instead of using factual evidence Mm -hmm. to... Um, talk about a situation, like for instance, talk about, say, for example, a cheetah living in a zoo in its enclosure. Maybe you have misgivings, maybe you don't about the said enclosure. But instead of using factual evidence in context of the animal that you're talking about, for instance, their natural species history, their natural species behavior, the actual experts that work with that individual every day and know them inside and out, uh, instead, what you're doing is you're emoting. You're trying to use emotion in a factual arena, and that's not ever going to equate. And it's much, much harder to have a conversation with where one side is using facts and the other side is using emotion because yeah. you're not on the same level and you never will be. And we're not arguing the fact that animals feel different emotions. They don't feel human emotions. Exactly. And they express their behaviors differently like think about your dog or your cat your dog wags its tail right it doesn't fucking smile Mm -hmm. if it smiles it means it's baring its teeth and it's pissed and it's the same with like chimpanzees people see pictures of chimps smiling like oh it's so cute it's smiling that's a threat they're threatening you they're mad they're trying Mm -hmm. to get you to step off and they're they're either threatened or they're scared they're not happy they're not happy to see you no they're gonna use like most animals don't really manipulate their face they're manipulating their entire body and they're giving off different odors and different postures and things like that so when you look at an orangutan and you're like oh it looks sad they that's their fucking face dude every orangutan looks the damn same that's why they're called the old man of the forest they look like an old sad man that's just their face (laughs) that's just how the bones in their face are arranged yes he could be eating his favorite food and boning down on his favorite 
female orangutan or male orangutan, and he's gonna yeah, have yeah, the same you you. face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, exactly. And I think people get very, very offended, and it can be a hard conversation to have because they take things very, very personally. Because yeah. essentially, what you're saying is the emotion that you assign that animal is wrong. Yeah. And what that person hears is my feelings about this are wrong, and they will immediately get defensive. Like, oh, and that's it not looks the case. so sad. I'm like, oh, well, it's not. Oh, well, it looks so sad. Okay, but he's not. But he looks so... Okay, I'm telling you he's not. Like, but I yeah. know, but he looks so sad. <laughs> but yeah, he's I not. Mean, <laughs> literally, being able to contextualize and understand animal behavior is a science, and it's based in fact, and it's something that zookeepers and animal care staff are trained to do. We are literally the experts in doing it. So when we tell you something, please understand that we're not just trying to tell you off or make you feel stupid or argue with you. We're literally telling you the factual context of the situation. Yeah. So if you come up and say, like, that orangutan looks sad, and I'm like, no, actually, he's doing whatever, and you argue with me, can you understand why I might be a little upset about that? <laughs> why Maybe you're just like a I will. might be coming I might be coming from a factual standpoint of science and information and you're coming from an emotional standpoint and how it's also very, 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 very insulting for you to think that you know this more than I do. Yeah. It's very insulting. It's just weird, and I went to school for this. I am in <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands Carol, of dollars in debt. We know that you shit this. out like seven kids, but that doesn't mean that you know animal behavior. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you know what that bear over there is feeling. Yeah, and I think or how it, it's I experiencing mean, its world. It's totally natural for humans to try to find faces and everything. You know, we see like pictures of chairs, and everyone's like, "Oh, it looks like a face," or like a light socket <laughs> looks like a face. I mean, that's just what we yeah. do. We look for faces because that's how we determine each other's emotions. We use our eyebrows and all the stuff in our face. But animals don't have eyebrows. <laughs> Most yeah, of them a lot of ain't them ain't got <laughs> no eyebrow, so they're you just can't you just can't compare it. So if somebody ever says something looks sad, just say, "How do you know when your dog's happy? Do they smile?" Like. When he's sleeping, does that mean your dog's sad? When your cat sleeps for 20 fucking three hours a day, does that mean your cat's sad? Like, think about ways to relate it back to animals people might actually know a little bit about. Yeah. And they might know these kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, it's literally an, comparing an apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah. They're just, they're not the same. It's not even that they're really in the same realm. It's just that they're not the same. And saying that they are could cause someone who has a citrus allergy to die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes. Like when you when you try to equate them, they're just not the same. And it's it's a really important thing to understand, especially if you're having that conversation, even if you're the one who is coming from that mindset or if you're trying to talk to someone who is coming from that mindset, mm -hmm. understand that they're coming from an emotional standpoint and you're coming from a factual standpoint. Right. So it's you're ne you're never going to be on the same level. You're never going to be having the same discussion because one person is emoting and one person is speaking from fact. So please try to understand that. And it's it's just, it's really, really important, but it's also very, very harmful when having conversations about animals and zoos because well, a lot of times yeah. emotions are getting in the way of actual factual progress. Well, and I just think anthropomorphism is like the number one thing because pictures speak louder than words and people take a picture of an orangutan and it's fucking sad old man face. <laughs> They're just mm -hmm. like... They have it all zoomed in, right? And he looks like he's just, like, sitting in a little box. And then the actual mm -hmm. exhibit is, you know, this massive habitat with all the other orangs. And he's, like, fucking chilling like a villain playing games on his iPad. And you couldn't even tell. So Yeah, or he's or he has, like, acres of area and he's yes. sitting in a box. Because they love Because <laughs> that's in what boxes. he wants to do. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what they want to do. But, yeah, that's what I think is, like, our biggest thing. So just knowing anthropomorphism, knowing what it means... And we're, tra I mean, we're trained from kids, right? Like I said, Disney, it's, that's how we relate to shit. We make it a person and then we put emotions on it, but it just doesn't work in this instance. So. No, it doesn't. And unfortunately, it's, it's actually detrimental to the conversation as a whole. Just like saying all zoos are good, all zoos are bad. You can't yeah. make blanket statements. No. You can't do the same thing here. You can't equate an actual scientific study of animal behavior to whatever emotion you think that animal is displaying. Right. They're not the same. They will never be the same. And it's harmful to do so. Yeah. So that being said. So stick a fucking fork, <laughs> Carol, in your gob because I don't even want to hear it anymore. Hey, Carol, why don't you go ahead and swallow a fork? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. 
find the nearest fork, choke it Fucking down. Fucking choke on it. Uh, so, so now that we've kind of gone through the background of zoos, as well as the reasoning behind having animals in zoos, we wanted to keep this episode from getting a little too long and wordy. So we're going to break this off here, and we're going to start part two with the good things that zoos are doing. So we're going to end this episode here. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this part one of our season one finale on zoos. This is episode Z. It's Z for zoos. We're both really excited to be doing it. So please stay tuned next time for our second part of this installment where we'll be discussing the rest of this conversation. Uh, As always, feel free to check out our Instagram or uh, hit us up on our Gmail with any questions, comments, or I don't know, memes, jokes, I don't know, whatever you want. (laughs) Meme us. It's keeperchat at gmail.com and our Instagram is keeper underscore chat. In addition, our Twitter handle is the exact same and you can find us on Facebook at keeperchat. And more importantly, fucking join our Patreon. What is your problem? (laughs) Girl, I was going to talk about that in the next episode. Damn. Well, I'm going to talk about it all day, every day. We have like 12 Patreon patrons and they're our favorite. And if you're not one of them, maybe you want to be on mommy and daddy's favorite list first i'm the daddy <laughs> i'm the mommy um you should check what it a out heteronormative relationship <laughs> we have go to patreon.com slash keeper chat check it out there's bonus info bonus info there's behind the scenes photos there's a picture of us on there that's <laughs> that's not a lie there's a picture of us on there um yes. there's behind the scenes info there's gonna be bonus episodes the first one is gonna be about the dodo bird we're gonna do all kinds of stuff and of course those people are voting right now they're voting for the first episode of season two, um, we've got people wanting, like, fucking cuttlefish and something else. I don't know. All that matters is that I said cicadas, and that's my vote. And no one voted for it. And everybody else hates it. <laughs> wah, wah. Okay, that's yeah. all. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>